you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by the Ford F-Series. DJ Buck here in the Beastquake room. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing all right. Trying to catch up. I'm looking at some tape and doing all kinds of other stuff, getting ready for my notebook, our notebook, all kinds of stuff. We got lots of notebooks. Can you give us a little teaser, though? What's coming up in the Bucky notebook this week? Uh, Looking at Deshaun Watson. We'll talk about that here. I'm also... Right now, in the middle of doing a deep dive on the Buffalo Bills defense. What is going on? Because they are doing it with a cast of no names, it seems, in the back end. <laughs> but playing really, really well. And so trying to figure out how all the pieces of the puzzle are fitting under Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. All right. I like that. Uh, we'll uh, we'll jump in on Watson here in just a little bit. I want to uh, give the folks an idea of what we've got coming up. A little Monday night football preview. Just took place right, or with the uh, the Redskins and the Chiefs, a really good football game. We'll break that down for you real quick. We'll talk about Deshaun Watson, who Buck just mentioned. Our offensive line of the week, our Ford uh, built, our built Ford Tough uh, offensive line of the week. Something like that. I get that right. What is that called? It's called. It's the offensive line of the week presented by the Ford F Series. I was so close. Uh, we'll get that going. We got Coach Lilly joining us. Our once a month appearance with uh, with Coach Lilly. Spent some time coaching in college football for a long time. Coach in the NFL, he's going to help us break down the Thursday night football matchup this week, which, Sully, is? That is between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England Patriots. That's That's, good. That is a tasty TNF matchup. Yeah, so Coach Lilly's been doing some homework on those squads. We'll break that down, and we're going to get to plenty of college football. But, Buck, let's start first with the Monday night football game. Again, didn't stay up to watch it last night, got up, watched it this morning. I'll tell you what, I know uh, the Alex Smith and the Chiefs and what they did, they're 4-0. It's going to be a big storyline there. I thought, again, I come back to the to the Cousins thing. I thought he played well, man. O- on the road, hostile environment against a really good defense. He made all the throws. Josh Doxson couldn't quite haul in the ball towards the end of the game. Uh, maybe it's a different story, but I keep coming back to the money thing. He's 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 not hurting himself. No, he's not hurting himself, and I think, I think he's always going to have value because he has shown that he can play winning football, and with the trend being that if you have a really good play caller who understands how to build an offense around a quarterback – that quarterback can look like an elite player, i.e. Jerry Goff and the L.A. Rams and the Sean McVay 
Kyle Shanahan, and whenever he wink wink acquires Kirk Cousins, <laughs> I mean those you already going there. Yeah, those, those those things happen. So say what you want to about Kirk Cousins, he's going to get a big payday. He's going to get a payday that's going to make some people kind of raise their eyes eyebrows, but. It's going to be a big deal, and I think he continues to kind of put the ball in the fairway, and as long as he does that, he's going to command that kind of deal. Let's take a quick detour before we get to the Chiefs and their side of the, side of the game last night and what they did. Uh, Cousins in San Francisco. This is an interesting dilemma here if you're San Francisco. Potentially, look, they haven't won a game yet. They're, mm-hmm. they're tracking in the right direction, although Cleveland's going to give them all they want for that number one pick. Let's just assume it's the end of the season. San Francisco has a number one pick, and you have your option. There's two different things you get here. Because a lot of times we talk about the best way to build your team is with you build up your roster and you drop in the quarterback because then you don't have to pay the big money on the rookie contract for the quarterback. allows you to be able to build up your defense, build up the rest of, the rest of your roster. So they Seahawks can, fall, fell into that with that's, Russell Wilson. Exactly. So yeah. they could be in a situation, let's just get the two different plans they could have in place. Decide to go with one of those quarterbacks with the first pick in the draft. You don't need Everybody knows the names. You don't need to mention them. They go with one of those quarterbacks to save that money or – do you go spend huge money, which it'll cost huge money to go get Kirk Cousins, but then you have a lottery ticket with that first pick. You have your quarterback. You can bail out of that first overall pick and create more assets to get some cheap starters around your very, very expensive quarterback. Uh, it could be a decision that they're faced with. It very well could be. Um, I would be inclined to take the veteran quarterback. Yeah. because it's You know a, what you got. It's a special circumstance, too, because – the offense, let's just say San Francisco finishes with the number one pick. They know, the head coach knows exactly what that quarterback is. He already understands his flaws, his weaknesses, what his strengths are. He already has a vision for how that offense would look with him as a quarterback. If it's another situation where we were saying like an unknown, like someone that didn't know Kirk Cousins, yeah, then it's a little more um, – like you have to kind of figure out how do I – build it how what kind of things do i do is he really what we think there's guesswork there's guesswork like kind of like the houston brock osweiler situation you really don't know with the rookie quarterback you don't know what any of those rookies are going to be and you don't know how long it's going to take for the light to come on i think you better serve take the veteran quarterback even though you're dropping big money use the number one overall pick in a variety of different ways. You can auction that pick off. You can take a you premier player at another position. Take a premier player at another position. You can trade down and get maybe two premier players to play prime positions on offense. There's so many assets that you could acquire with that number one pick already having the quarterback in place. I think you have to go that route. Maybe you slide down a couple spots and maybe you go up to, I don't know, say the state of Pennsylvania and try and find somebody you could mm. hand that ball off to. Maybe. I see where you're going I've been there. watching a lot of Penn football. Let yeah, me tell you. Penn. A lot of Penn. The lot Quakers. Of, lot, big fan of the Ivy League. <laughs> um, hey, let's get back to that Monday night game, though, Buck. The Chiefs and what you've seen from them kind of sputtered around for a little bit, but then again they found some big plays down the field. Alex Smith, your guy, getting it done. I mean, they're so creative on offense. I think um, Andy Reid has basically put out a blueprint for how to take a spread quarterback and develop him over the long term. And I know he didn't have Alex Smith, obviously, right out of college. But if you look at what he's been able to do the four or five years since he's been in Kansas City, we have seen Alex Smith's game continue to grow and evolve as Andy Reid's offense has evolved around his talents. We're seeing things that we see sometimes on Saturdays, spread offense, fly sweep, shovel passes, bubble screens, uh, quarterback runs, a lot of those things that we say can't be done in the National Football League, we're seeing the Kansas City Chiefs do it with Alex Smith. And to be honest, I think what you have done is you have taken Alex Smith's offense, the offense that he played in in Utah, and you've put a lot of similar concepts and pieces 
in place in Kansas City, and the quarterback has thrived. I don't think it's a coincidence when you see these young quarterbacks or these spread quarterbacks have success when the offensive coordinator is creative enough to take some of what they've been able to do for years and put it into a pro-style offense. And this is something we're going to break down on the video podcast coming up on Thursday. We're going to give the folks at home uh, some video evidence of how Saturdays are bleeding into Sundays. We'll take a deeper dive on that, show you some of the different options and different things we're seeing from a couple teams. That's going to lead us to Deshaun Watson here in a second, Buck, but I wanted to just touch on one thing here before we get to Deshaun Watson. Looking up the top rushing offenses right now, here we are four weeks into the season. Um, here they are. It's, it's Jacks, it's uh, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Denver, Philly, Houston, Tennessee. So let's take Denver uh, slightly out of the equation there. And even though we'll get, I'll get to my point here, of those teams, Kansas City number one, Alex Smith is a running threat. Yep. So not only is it him running the football, but you have to account for him. So it's one less guy you got to block. Yep. Plus one. Jacksonville, Blake Bortles has been running around this year, and you yes. have to account for him on the backside. Philadelphia, Carson Wentz has run the ball and made some plays. It's, again, the same formula. Houston, Deshaun Jackson or Deshaun Watson, and then Tennessee with Marcus Mariota. So to lead the league in rushing, I think people say, oh, it's an, you have an athletic quarterback, so they're adding to the total. Well, yeah, that's true, but there's also the fact that even when they aren't running the ball, your backside end has to account for him. So you got one less guy to block. It's the threat. It's the threat of them being able to run. And I've always believed when people say, oh, the read option is dead, uh, you can't do that stuff in the pros. It's not about, like, really majoring in it. It's having a minor degree in it, meaning I only need the quarterback to pull the ball three, four, five times a game to make the defense remain honest. And so what teams are realizing is that a couple, a sprinkle sprinkle of quarterback design runs – makes the defense account for that, and it evens up the numbers count because from a defense standpoint, you never count the quarterback in the run game. With these teams, you have to account for them because they do run. You know what I compare it to in my personal situation? It's having a gym membership. I might not go, but if I want to, <laughs> I, can. I, I can. They'll let me It in. gives you more yeah. options. It gives you, don't you laugh, silly. It gives you more options. And, yeah. and, and as the game is evolving and we're having the – I mean, I think we're really in a crossroads coming down the pipe with these quarterbacks, the quarterbacks that are coming into the National Football League from the collegiate range. Most of these guys are athletic enough where they have been involved in a spread offense at some point. They've done some kind of read options, zone option, RPOs. They're comfortable doing that. You have to take advantage of that, and I think you're seeing more and more of those coordinators understand that and put that in their offense. So let's go to Deshaun Watson then and what we saw from him. We both got a chance to dig in and study him. This is some of my notes that I wrote down, Buck. did a nice job climbing the pocket. A lot of play action, a lot of boots, um, a lot of design quarterback or a handful of design quarterback runs. I saw some stuff that that I used to do in college where you just had the pure quarterback draw. A lot of times in the NFL, quarterback draws, you go empty. So you got five out, and then you just you're just gonna find a crease and go. They're under center, and it's I almost like that. a quarterback follow. So you take a full five step drop. As soon as your fifth step hits in the ground, you're coming forward, and you got a tailback kind of as your nice little lead blocker there with Lamar Miller. They ran that twice in that game. So for some of the criticism we've levied at uh, or lobbed at uh, Bill O'Brien over the course oh, of he, our podcast, I got tip of the cap. They they were creative have, in this game plan. Okay, so here's my thing. So if you have all that available. Why go through the Tom Savage exercise? Like, wh- wh- why, why do we even spend so much of the preseason talking about Tom Savage being the starting quarterback when someone in the building had this playbook with these plays and concepts that Deshaun Watson obviously is very, very comfortable? I just feel like they spun their wheels unnecessarily 
for half of a, so half of a game. I talked to our, our buddy Lance Zierlein about this because he's down there in Houston. He's around that team all the time. And I said, what was it? Why even go through that? Exactly what you're saying, Buck. And he said, I he said they've been working on this stuff with Deshaun Watson. It's almost like they've been developing two different offenses throughout the spring and the okay. summer. And he said they wanted they didn't want to put it on him. They wanted to be able to 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 slow play him and get him in. But he said once they got into live game action, they they said, look, the uh, the offensive line that we have here, he can't survive. So, Buck, it, look, it's going to be interesting to see I, Deshaun Watson from what we've seen so far. I, I I really like what I've seen. The poise is the big thing that's carried over from the college game, the NFL game. There's still throws they're going to get away from. He's going to have some bad misses. But, uh, man, he's just he looks comfortable, and he's getting more comfortable each and every rep. He looks really, really comfortable because this offense really looks a lot like the Clemson offense that he played in, that he thrived in. Um, you talk about Lance um, saying that they've been kind of working on multiple offenses at one time, and they had to go and really put this offense not only for Tom Savage's survival, but to give their offensive line an opportunity to win. Well, this is why we see college and high school offenses run the spread and run the option because they don't have enough players who are good enough to block the bodies on the other side. And so I give Bill O'Brien a lot of credit because I certainly didn't think that he was creative enough to come up with an offense that would help Deshaun Watson excel. But now what has happened is when you hear what are the words that are coming out of the players' mouths in Houston, the belief, yep. oh, our quarterback has swag, the confidence that he plays with, the poise, it kind of sounds like what the Clemson people would say about Deshaun Watson. And so when that magic kind of happens – uh, it can change. And when their defense starts to play at the level that we think they can play, that's when the Houston Texans are going to be very, very scary. That reminded me of your notes on uh, Sunday going into going into a recap podcast. You can check that out now on uh, NFL.com slash podcast. But you, you put Clemson 2.0 as one of, your, one of your notes. That's what it looks like when you're watching. When you dig in the tape, you even see, see more of it. All right, three stats, Bucky, for you on the NFL before we get to offensive line of the week and then – uh, Coach Lilly, and then we'll get on to some college football. These are the three stats. I was just looking at some stuff today that caught caught my attention. I'll give them to you. Uh, and then I'll go through all three of them. Just tell me which one surprises you the most. Jacksonville Jaguars lead the league in sacks with 18. They also are best in the league, having only allowed three sacks. So they have a sack differential of plus 15 four games into the season. So hold on that one. The Los, or the Los Angeles Rams, who you touched on with Coach McVay, 21 explosive pass plays already this season. So 21 pass plays of 20-plus yards. Last year, the entire year, they had 43. They're on pace for 84 this year. Wow. So that shows you some difference there. And then this one, uh, this one kind of blew me away. And uh, Rosenthal, Greg Rosenthal from around the NFL, actually tweeted out the number. But I want to even put this number in more context because it had been brought to my attention and it kind of blew me away. The Patriots – are, are worse in the league in defense right now in yards allowed per game, okay? But let me read you the last few few teams. All right, Buck. So the um, Tennessee Titans are 29th at 386 a game allowed, okay? Ooh. So after Tennessee, Tampa is next. They're 30th with 394. So they've allowed eight more yards in the team that's one spot ahead of them. The Colts are at 396. So they've allowed two more yards than the team ahead of them. <laughs> And then at the very bottom is the New England Patriots. They're at 456 a game. That's Whoa. 60 more yards than the next closest team than the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, they're not just in last place. They are. There is a massive gap between the other 31 teams and them. How the heck are they this bad? That's something we're going to get into uh, on the Thursday podcast as well. We're going to do a little bit of a video dive there. But those were the stats that jumped out to me. The Jags, what they're doing up front. 
the Rams with some explosive plays and just how terrible this Patriots defense is. Well, I mean, obviously the headline of that is the New England Patriots, how, why their defense so bad. And when you look at them, I, I think it's kind of simple up front. You can't keep subtracting good players and not replace them with good players. As much as we on the outside, the media, laud what Bill Belichick does on draft day, moving around, manipulating the board, talking about how they control it. At some point, you have to pick the right players. And of late, they haven't picked dominant players on defense up front. They Derek just Rivers don't have might it. be. I mean, we don't know. Been, like, we don't he's, know. He's, yeah, he's, he's been, been hurt. hurt. We, yeah. we, we don't know. But we do know that Chandler Jones was pretty good. We knew that Jamie Collins was pretty right. good. They have some other players that have played up there that have been pretty good that they've let walked out the building. You have to make sure that you have Jamal, blue chippers. Jamal Sheard was another Jamal one. Jamal Sheard. I mean, like, you, you have to make sure that you have blue chip, at least one blue chip player at every level. And I don't know if they have a blue chip player at the front line level or even at the linebacker spot. The interesting thing is we always debate, do you build your defense back to front or front to back? Well, they went out and paid some money to Stephon Gilmore. They still have Malcolm Butler there. They have McCourty, who they paid money to. So they're kind of built back to front now. And It ain't working. No, and, that's, and that's, that goes opposite of how I've been taught, how I've heard that you build a team. You have to have the front-line guys because the front-line guys can mask the deficiencies that you have in the back end. And it goes back to when I was with the Carolina Panthers, we went to the Super Bowl with Julius Peppers up front, Chris Jenkins up front, Brinson Buckner, Mike Rucker, Dan Morgan, Mark Fields. And we had two undrafted corners, uh, Terry Cousin, Reggie Howard. I, I mean, undrafted. Yeah. Undrafted. But all of the commitment, all of the assets were in the front seven. And so for me, I believe as long as you're good at the front line, you certainly can do things in the back end to help them. And we're going to have some video evidence and break this thing down and, and try, go a little bit deeper on the dive on this Patriots defense and what happened to him. We'll do that on our next episode. Bucky, it's time for our O-line of the week presented by the Ford F-Series. This is something that our buddy Sean O'Hara does every week, and you can check that out, nfl.com slash Ford, where he breaks down and, and gives you – who he believes is the best offensive line of the week. Sometimes we agree with him. Sometimes we have a different team. So I don't know who Sean has this week, Buck, but we decided to go with the Philadelphia Eagles and what they did against the L.A. Chargers. 214 rushing yards. Garrett Blunt got loose. Um, they only allowed one sack. They dominated at the line of scrimmage. And we're also going to have a, a little bit on this game or on this Eagles run game in one of our videos this week and kind of break down what they're doing with some RPOs. It is fascinating what they're doing in the run game, and they got it cranked up. I mean, they absolutely have it cranked up. And But we talk about the RPOs. I, I, I should remind you that Doug Peterson, maybe as recently as 8, 19 years ago, was coaching at a high school level. So he certainly understands the RPO game. He understands the spread game. They've done some things to really help Carson Wentz out. I think the big thing in that Philadelphia Eagles game against the Chargers, the LeGarrette Blunt. Uh, reemergence, being able to put him in, give them a physical back, a guy that can pound it. They still need that physical and rugged identity because that's the way you have to play football down the stretch. Having him come in and be that banger certainly helps them on offense. Yeah, and look, they've got all the guys going now. They've got a nice committee. Wendell Smallwood's giving them some, some quickness, and then you look at uh, Clement, who gives them a little bit of both with the power and the quickness, and then Blunt is really – I mean, he's running well. I mean, he that we're going to break down that run in one of our videos this week with the uh, – it's, it's a run, I'm going to tell you right now, that there's a certain member of the Chargers not going to want to watch it. <laughs> not good. It is not, it is not a good situation for Mr. King, but he gets uh, he gets tossed down to the ground twice by Garrett Blunt, who's running hard. So uh, hats off to the Eagles and their offensive line. Sean actually, by the way, ends up ranking his top five offensive lines of the week and then has a winner. So if you want to check that out, go to NFL.com slash Ford, our good buddy Sean O'Hara. 
uh, will get you going. All right, Buck, we've got him back again here. Coach Lilly made his debut on the podcast a month ago. We've teased it. We have him on once a month to break something down for us. He's got the the college background as well as the NFL background, and uh, he's going to give us a look at the Thursday night game this week, which is a goodie. All right, Buck, well, we've got him here. Coach Lilly is with us. And, Coach, we're, we're looking at this Thursday night matchup, and this was your, your project you took on for us this week, Patriots at the Buccaneers. And this is a, it's an interesting breakdown when you look at this contest because you're looking at a couple quarterbacks who are playing at a very high level, and you look at a couple secondaries that are really struggling. It is, no doubt, and it's exciting. I mean, Thursday night games kind of get a bad rap, you know, and I get it. You know, it's hard on coaches. It's hard on players just the, the quick turnaround. But this is one that's got the potential, and his two teams don't play each other. So, you know, you you talk about Tom Brady and Jameis Winston, and, you know, it's, it's you know four games in or three games in for the Bucks. In this case, you can't overreact to anything. But, I mean, there's a lot on the surface here. Like you said, I mean, you got the number one, number three pass offenses in the league, and you got the last and next-to-last pass defenses in the league. So, it may take a while to play this game. It might be a lot of passes. It could be exciting to watch. <laughs> you know, Coach, the critical areas when you evaluate and tape often in the red zone and on third down. So when you're doing your tape study, what, what kind of things did you uncover on those critical situations? Well, I, I totally agree with you, Bucky. And, and, you know, as I was saying, I mean, quarterbacks get paid and games get won and lost because of third down and, and red area performance, you know, really. And, and it's really intriguing with these two teams because last year – you had Julian Edelman that had 28 third-down receptions. You had Mike Evans that had 28 third-down receptions for uh, for Tampa, and that was the tops among wide receivers in the NFL. I think DeAndre Hopkins had 28 as well. But obviously Edelman's not going to have any this year, you know. And, and Mike Evans, once you put up numbers like that, people know they got to take you away. So it's it's been interesting studying it. Um, you know, for New England, I mean, it's been, as you would imagine, it's been Rob Gronkowski has been kind of their, their go-to guy on third down, but they've spread it around pretty good with Hogan and Amendola. And then uh, James White got involved a lot more this past weekend, uh, partially because of just a lot of zone coverage, you know, from Carolina right there. And I think a really kind of a hidden thing from New England's side of it is that um, – they have got to do a great job on first down and second down because when they played Carolina, they were it was 70%, 7 out of 10 if it was third and four or less, which, okay, I get it. It's always easier when it's, when it's lesser yardage, but they really did a nice job converting because, again, they could, could get in some of those holes in the zone and, and catch the ball and then just get tackled and make a first down. When it got to be long yardage, it was a lot harder to find that area. You know, Carolina was content to sit back and then just go tackle the ball carrier. And uh, and it gives the pass rush time to get there, too, which obviously they've struggled with. I didn't say it a minute ago when we talked about Tom Brady, but, I mean, gosh, the pace the guy is on, you know, he's going to throw for like an NFL record yard, about 5,500 yards if he keeps this up. But he's also going to take, I think it's 52 sacks is what it translates out to. He's had 13 already. And uh, so, you know, you've got that to deal with. But, I think the other thing on that is Tampa, big zone team, obviously, and really personnel-wise with some injuries right now, may not have the personnel to match up in man coverage, but that's kind of where they go to when it gets to the third and two to four area. And uh, and so that's where now you get a chance for New England to see, okay, who's going to cover Rob Gronkowski? Because I don't know who that is for them unless T.J. Ward somehow gets back. He did a really nice job a couple years ago in the AFC Championship game before he got hurt that day. But, 
I don't know who that is, you know, that can do that for them. And I don't know what the bat linebacker situation they have, who covers the back, you know, for them in man coverage. And they've been hurt some. Um, I know even with the Rams last year, we got a third and two late in the game and we're able to, to check to a zero blitz call and hit Tavon Austin on a corner route for about a 50-yard touchdown. Um, you know, so that's where New England wants to get them, but they've got to do a good job, obviously, to get it down there. And then Tampa has not had a pass rush this year. You know, they just, have one sack. One sack. Yeah, I mean, it's one sack in three games. They had 38 last year. Or, you know, obviously, I'm not great at math, but I can figure out one sack. I mean, they're going to get four or five this year at that rate. Um <laughs> So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. They did a lot of things last week, used a lot of guys to try to find some pass rush. They've got Noah Spence back. I'm eager to see him. He's going to be on the offense's right side. So it's going to be him against Marcus Cannon, and who struggled with Peppers last weekend, and uh, I think maybe still has a little bit of an ankle or something. And if nothing else, the outside rush may force Brady up in the pocket a little bit, and that's where Gerald McCoy and, and Ayers are going to be, you know, when you get into the, the third yard, third down situations. And uh, I'll tell you, in both these teams, I don't want to get off on a tangent. There are a lot of great things that stand out, but I don't know if anything stands out more than Gerald McCoy's get-off play after play for 60 minutes. I mean, it, it's unbelievable when you watch it. Coach, we uh, we got to roll. I got to get your prediction here real quick. We got to pick a winner in this game, put you on the spot. Who do you like? Oh my gosh, that's brutal! Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to straddle the fence really big on this. Nope. I think I, I love both coaching staffs. Okay, okay. Uh, I think New England back against the wall. They love to be there. You know, people start to doubt them. That's usually when they come out swinging. I've always picked the home team on Thursday night, and especially coming off the emotional games that these teams had on Sunday. New England loses on a walk off field goal. Tampa Bay wins. Jameis Winston kind of. I don't want to overemphasize it, but kind of a career-making drive right there early in the year, you know, or a season-making drive maybe. And they win it on the field goal, momentum, home crowd. They're going to find a way to get it done. So I'll, I'll go Tampa Bay. You don't like to make predictions, but I'll go Tampa uh, we got Bay. You, we got so. you on the spot, Coach, and you picked a winner for us. Hey, man, we, uh, we appreciate you breaking that down. Appreciate you getting off the fence, giving us a winner. And for those at home that want to watch this game, Thursday Night Football, Pats, Bucks, 825 p.m. east coast time nfl network cbs you can also check it out on amazon prime uh a lot of options there for you to check out this game hey coach great work project number two we got another one coming up next month and we look forward to it sounds awesome watch the bunch sets by tampa bay new england struggled with them last week they played them about four different ways so be ready to see if they got that fixed or if tampa bay exploits it we're on it we're on it very much that's uh, coach john Lilly. thank you very much sir we'll catch you next week thanks john thanks guys a lot of fun all right, Buck. Nice to have uh, Coach Lilly back on the show. Always enjoy our visits with him. But let's uh, let's jump over into some college football. And first of all, uh, let's start with the picks. I only say that because I didn't finish in last place this week with the picks. But, uh, <laughs> hey. I, Kent and Sully both had ten in one weeks. Nice work. Something went right this weekend. And then I mean, uh, they always pick the game, so obviously they should. It should be. It should be. Uh, I don't pick the games. Kent does. Yeah. Yeah, Well, anyways, it's working. I went. I went nine and two. Bucky seven and four. But I'm still in the cellar overall in the season. I got your game ahead of me, Buck. Man, I'm six behind Kent. Jeez. Yeah, I'm seven behind. So we got some. We've got some work to do there. But I thought we'd jump into a couple things that we saw um, this weekend. I'll get to what I saw in Laramie, Wyoming, because I actually had a chance to call uh, Josh Allen and Wyoming's game up there and. Uh, definitely got some social media traction on what I wrote about Josh Allen after the game. So we'll get there in just a minute. But 
I did go back and watch the Clemson game and the Alabama game because this seems inevitable, Buck. We're going to see these two teams square off, and I, I do agree with the masses that they're head and shoulders above everybody else in college football right now. I mean, the two, I mean, they have done a great job of recruiting. And all you have to do is look at the recruiting rankings the last three, four, five years. They, they have been cleaning up. They're getting all the four- and five-star players. And Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban do a great job of developing their stars. And so when you look at that platform and you look at the landscape, I don't know if you can find another team. Ohio State may be in the mix that has a loaded roster like those two. And so ultimately talent wins, and they have seemed to hit – on the quarterbacks as well, particularly down at Clemson where Kelly Bryant is playing like a star right after Deshaun Watson. Yeah, going back and watching their defense in that game and, and watching the tape, first of all, they are fast. They are fast at every level. And I know, you know, you look at what they had at linebacker last year, a lot of leadership. They, they lost some of that leadership, but they're more athletic and they're more explosive. And when you look at all the different twists and games and stunts that they're running up front, creating a lot of havoc. When you watch them, a lot of times you see, okay, as a coach, you scheme it up and you get a run through. There there are so many snaps where they have two guys clean I know. coming through. I mean, it is ridiculous. They're holding up well in coverage in the back end. So Clemson, they look outstanding. But then when I watch Alabama, that is just it's just grown man football. Buck. Up front, they're great. The, all the running backs talk about that. But I, when I watched them, I actually had to write down the numbers of the receivers. I, I wrote down, everybody knows about Calvin Ridley. But 17, what down 17, 4, who's your guy, Jerry Judy, 1 is Foster. I mean, these guys all look beautiful. I mean, they are big, athletic, fast, and they run after the catch. They're competitive. So we know about the backs. We hear about them. We know how physical they are in the trenches. This is a good-looking group of wideouts they got, too. A good-looking group. I mean, when you go back to Alabama and Nick Saban, they're all about prototypes. They're about the traits. They're about making sure that they have the height, weight, speed, things that are typically playing in the National Football League. There's a reason why they excel, and that's because Nick Saban has a philosophy that uh, football is like boxing. There's a reason why you don't put middleweights in the ring with heavyweights, and they view themselves as heavyweights. They go and get heavyweight uh, players, and so they feel like they can knock you around. I think the interesting thing when it comes to those two teams, uh, styles make fights. If Alabama is the old-school slobber knocker team, Clemson is the new school. We're going to run around, get on the perimeter. And when they play, I mean, they're fireworks, just fireworks, because both games that they have played have been very, very competitive. Yeah, no question. So it, it just seems like that's where we're headed at. Would not surprise me at all. I went back and watched Mason Rudolph in their game last week against Texas Tech, which was a nail-biter. Uh, just some of my notes from watching him from the week, Buck. Um, everything – hey, look, when it's read number one, the ball's out, it's accurate, there's timing, there's touch, no question. One's not there. He he likes to kind of move around outside the pocket. He, he's not the most athletic guy, but he likes trying to move around. I like to see him just be able to sit and scan a little bit more, hang yep. in there a little bit more. Um, that's something he can work on. But, um, you know, look, he's he's accurate at all three levels. Um, had He actually had a game-winning game touchdown run in this game. So he's not a great athlete, but if the yards are there, he'll take them. My biggest thing, if you're looking for, you know, the positives, it's the accuracy and the touch. If you're looking for the negatives, I don't think there's really anything explosive about him. You know, just in terms of the ball jumping out of his hand or him being an explosive mover, there's just he's kind of a monotone guy. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that kind of jumps out. He's good in several areas. I don't think he's great in any one area. And he plays really with a cast of playmakers on the outside that are terrific. Washington is terrific, 28. Oh, yeah. He makes a ton of plays. Um, they have another one, number one. Jalen McCluskey. Yes. 
Yep. Two wide receivers, two big-time wide receivers that can really turn those short games into big big plays. So he understands how to distribute and play it. He's one of those guys that I think you grade probably as a B, B-plus. I don't know if he ever gets to an A level when it comes down to your grading sheet. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting to see. His, his uh, evaluation against maybe a player – like Luke Falk, you know, see how those guys sort themselves out throughout the process. I think they're very, I think they're very yeah. comparable in terms of where, where they fit in the final analysis. I think we'll see them probably both at the Senior Bowl, right? I'm sure they both should mm-hmm. be there. They probably have to be there. And I, I think they should probably be clustered in that same tier when we go into the Senior Bowl in the beginning of the postseason. Uh, anyways, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to follow those guys as they go forward. Let's jump to Josh Allen because I had a chance to call their game against Texas State. And I know Texas State is not a good football team. Uh, and I know the numbers of what Josh Allen has done against Iowa this year, against Oregon this year. You look at Nebraska last year. They don't look good. The numbers don't look good. And I kind of tried to explain in this post a couple different things that I believe are true, at least for me, in terms of the physical upside that he possesses. And I'm talking about arm strength and ability to move around, athletic ability, and, and comes in a six foot five plus package at 240 pounds. Unbelievable. It's rare. It's rare. I go down there for warm-ups before the game. He's on the opposite 40, throwing the ball into the back pylon repeatedly, (laughs) easily, with very little strain, very little effort. He goes to the far hash. He's throwing deep out to the other side of the field. The ball is about six feet off the ground, just absolutely flying. I mean, it jumps out of his hand. He's got rare arm talent. So the size, the arm strength, the athletic ability. This is a guy last year who rushed for 500 yards and had seven touchdowns. That speaks a little bit to his athleticism. This year, the numbers are down. The turnovers are up. Everybody's you know, kind of saying, okay, maybe the pressure's got to him. He's the guy. He's not raising the level of play around him. Went back and watched the tape of every game and then went and saw him play live. There's just not a lot of speed around him. There's Guys aren't separating. Guys can't get open. Now, I'm not removing all of the blame from him. He's got to do a better job protecting the football. He's trying to extend plays. He's loose with the football. He's got fumbles. He's forcing balls. He's got turnovers. The accuracy numbers, he has some balls take off on him. He's not a finished product, Bucky, by any stretch of the imagination. But what he can potentially be is going to be so dang enticing to NFL teams, you're going to forgive a lot of the warts that exist. I think that's ultimately – what scouting is. Uh, Ron Wolf had a saying, don't tell me what he can't do, tell me what he can do. And so when you look at Josh Allen, the big thing is going to be, what could he be in two to three years? And you said it better than anybody when you came in on Sunday. You said, man, like watching him for a scout is like smoking crack. He has <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, su- I, I know evidence so, there, but that's, no uh, evidence, that's what I but assume. Just, 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 yeah. you know, just saying that he exhibits all the qualities that you look for. Big arm, big athletic guy with mobility, can get outside the pocket, can make plays with his feet, can make every throw that you seemingly want a quarterback to make. Those two things will give you an opportunity. Then when it comes down to your level of confidence as a coach, oh, I can develop him, here's how I put him in my system. Maybe we have a veteran quarterback in place that we have some time i.e. the Kansas City Chiefs, Alex Smith taking on a Pat Mahomes, or a team like maybe the New York Giants need a quarterback to replace Eli Manning. How about the Pittsburgh the LA Steelers? The Chargers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, teams that have a veteran quarterback in place where you can say, we have a two-year plan to get this guy up to speed and ready. I believe Josh Allen continues. Regardless of what the tape says, he's going to be a top 15 pick just because when you check off the box in terms of height, weight, speed, arm talent, 
he's going to grade out. Well, this is going to be an interesting one for analytics folks because I, I'm anxious to see what the numbers look like. I don't know what you even call it. What do you call it? Like adjusted completion percentage. Somebody's going to have to go through, and I, mean, I guess I could do it. I could do it in the spring when I get some time, but go through and count up the drops. Mm-hmm. And then do the adjusted completion percentage. You have to do it for all the quarterbacks to make it fair, apples to apples, no question. Sure. But I'm telling you, there are four and five drops in some of these games that you're watching. So you look at how a, many picks are not his fault either. Well, yeah, but then on the other side of it, now to be fair, there's a, a throw against Hawaii that should have been a pick six yep. that, that was dropped. So to take those numbers in, I would love to see what those look like because sitting at 56% or whatever he is at right now does not look good. I readily admit no. that. It's, but when you adjust and account for some things, I'm just fascinated to see how it all shakes out. Now, there's lots of time before we get to the lots end of Lots of time, but ultimately it comes down to it's, the debate is going to be projection versus production. Yep. The projection is going to be greater than the production has been on tape. And what camp do you lie in? Do I want to see it before I buy into it? Or am I one that believes that, oh, I've seen enough that I know that I can develop it? Yeah, it's going to be, like I said, I think it's going to be one of the more fascinating quarterback evaluations uh, that I can remember. And I'm I'm hopeful that he's going to get his his degree here in the fall. I don't know where he is in regard to that, but if he can and he can go to the Senior Bowl for the week, I think he could really, really help himself. Absolutely can help himself. With what he does down there. So, a little bit juicier of, your, of a Senior Bowl potentially than whew. last year. Yeah, well, you you get Mason Rudolph and Falk and get him in there. It'd right, be a good looking group. That'd be a, that'd be a nice quarterback group. So, anyways, that was my my take there. It's funny because people, you know, that it gets tweeted out and it's just said that I, you know, said he's Baker I, too. I, I would put yeah Baker Mayfield. Nah, is he a junior? Or is he a senior? He's got to be a senior at this point, right? He's I don't it's know. His, there was it's some fifteenth year at Oklahoma, but there was some debate about right? his eligibility and whether or not he get next year. I have right, to go back right. and look that up, but um. To me, it's 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 going to be fascinating to see what happens there. But I, it got tweeted out because I said I would put his skill set up against anybody in the NFL. It's talking strictly arm strength and athletic ability combined I with mean, size. It, there's it's it's I unique. Mean, strictly strictly throwing the ball, you you can make that argument. He has the size. He has definitely the arm talent. You talked about the long tosses that you saw when you were there. He can make those throws. And so if we were in a T-shirts and shorts competition, one of those quarterback competitions that we used to see at the Pro Bowl years ago, you absolutely could throw him in with any of those guys and he can compete. Now, playing the game of football is different, but look, the farther we get, the closer we get to the draft, the farther we are away from how he played, the more he's going to continue to rise up the charts and in the minds of evaluators. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It'll be a fun one to follow there. So, Anyways, we've got a bunch of good college games coming up this week. We'll get into that a little bit on Thursday's uh, podcast coming your way. Thank you guys again for checking out our Sunday night episode. Those numbers continue to climb up, so that's getting some traction. Uh, that's been a fun addition for us uh, here with the Move the Stick stuff, Buck. But, man, that's uh, that's all I got unless you got something else you want to add today. No, nah, this is this is a really good one, man. This, I'm looking at these games, the college games for week six. There's some intriguing ones. I noticed my Tar Heels on our, aren't up here, but – that's okay. Yeah, Tar Heels, not a great start, my friend. No, it's basketball season coming, basketball season. Oh, there you go. Hey, Tennessee's already turned the page going to basketball season, too, <laughs> making a run. Appreciate Eve's you. Ponds, uh, freak show, Frenchman, going to come in, flying Frenchman, going to take us to the Sweet 16. There you go. Yeah. All right, silly. Good luck <laughs> Good luck to your basketball program. Yeah, uh, right. All right. Lordy. That, let's that, get out of here. Let's get out of here on that note. <laughs> Hey, look, we've enjoyed uh, we've enjoyed it today. We'll be back in a couple days for another one. This is Move the Six presented by the Ford F-Series. See you later.
Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.